Welcome back to the Dadhood Podcast. In today's episode, we have Adam Khan, who is an online coach. He's the founder of the Fit Dad Life Mastery Program, and his mission is to help South Asian fathers to be fit and healthy. Adam is also a father to two children, and he has been divorced once and been remarried. In this episode, we go through all of the things that you guys as fathers should know about your own health. We go through Adam's story in terms of what motivated him to be in this position to help fathers uh, become fit and healthy and the types of excuses we might give as fathers uh, where we don't want to control our weight and how Adam can actually help us do that, the different attitudes, mindsets and tips and advice that he gives us to get over those hurdles. So this is going to be really beneficial, especially for those dads who are struggling to keep active and stay fit uh, for their children and just for themselves, their, their married life as well. Um, so definitely take a look, subscribe, uh, like, Put some comments down below on what you thought about this. And remember, you can find this podcast on all the podcast streaming platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, etc. Um, so make sure that you follow it on there as well. Assalamu alaikum, Adam. Welcome to the Dadhood Podcast. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to have you and we're going to pretty much go straight into it. Um, I saw you come on Islam channel and uh, viewers know that I, I work there and uh, I, I saw that you were speaking about taking care of your health but related more specific to South Asian dads. Now yeah. I'm a South Asian dad and I'm sure many of my listeners are South Asian dads and so I thought what uh, what better guest to have on the podcast than uh, Adam, uh, mashallah. So before we go into that, I always ask a question to our guests most of the time, which is, uh, given that you're a father, when did you have children and how old were you when you had your children? So first of all, Walik Maslam, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So when I had, I became a dad early. I would say too early, you know, honestly, if, if you ask me. So we're in a bit of a dilemma and because it's a Muslim thing, I think we can talk about this as well. So we're in a bit of a dilemma in the sense that, you know, when you're young and you're 19 and and um, uh, you, you're surrounded by temptation. Right. So if you if you have if you have a, a you know, leaning for Islam and you're quite conscious of, of your of your faith, then you want to protect yourself from that. But then you've got strong desires. So what do you do? You think about marriage. And getting married so I was thinking about marriage for like I was from the age of 16 right? so uh, and I went to an Islamic boarding school as well and you know over there it's all about marriage and you do have this very romanticized notion of marriage as well and you don't realize that how much sacrifice effort and things it takes and in some regards a lot of young men are not even mature enough like I don't on reflection now I don't think I was mature enough. sometimes I question if I'm mature enough now I'm 40 and I'm 42 my, my wife would tell me I'm not, but you know, and I'm 42, right? So, um, uh, but I wanted to get married and I started looking to get married when I was at university at 19, I was looking to get married. Um, so I so wasn't ready. And guys, if you're at university, if you haven't got means and stuff like that, yes, you know, it's, it's all sounds very, very, um, you know, you, you know, we read that hadith and stuff, Allah will provide and, you know, it's, which is all true, which is all true, but you have to also be practical and realistic. Right. So I, I was at uni, never had a penny to my name. <laughs> I was trying to get married, but I got married at 23, eventually. Yeah, 23. I got married at 23. And, uh, you know, this is, relates back to fatherhood as well. I was supposed to get married on the 12th of December, 2002. Uh, sorry, on the 15th of December, 2002. My father passed away on the 12th. Everything was in turmoil. So, so um, I got, I mean, uh, but then um, in, we still got the, uh, so um, yes, my father passed away on the um, uh, 15th, sorry, on the 12th, I was supposed to get married on the 15th, but because of all of that, we had this nikah done really quickly. Uh, for, for, there's some cultural things where my wife-to-be wanted to see my dad and my dad wanted to see, well, my dad was unconscious so he didn't know but we had this in our belief in our family that you know he should see his future daughter-in-law and all the rest of it so we had this nikah rushed uh, and she came over she's not my dad but then there was no we didn't we didn't move in together until uh, a few months later um 
but then I became a dad on in 2004, uh, 27th of Jan, I, I became I became a dad. So I got married at 23. Within a year, I was a dad. Um, on hindsight now, you know, the, the, the responsibilities and all that it brings. And I just finished uni uh, and I just got a job. But alhamdulillah, I, got, I mean, I started work six months before I got married. I was working full time. Uh, but yeah, that, in, in short, that's when I became a, a dad. Okay. 2004, 27th of Jan. So you, when, you, when you say that you you may not you regret it or, or maybe you would have got married a bit later if you, if you, if you went back or you advised brothers to, to, to make sure they sort out a few things. What, what were some of the challenges that you faced in your first a couple of years of being a dad that you thought, actually, if I just waited a little bit, this would have been a bit more easier? financial burden i was living with my parents um that has its uh, pros and cons um and um then i moved out to uh a dad uh, to the house that my dad left behind uh, i inherited um well the family inherited but i was living there but still uh, i mean i never so i wasn't paying rent and i wasn't paying mortgage and i still found it really really difficult like i i got I mean, every month i um i just about to pay the bills and survive and i had some debt from my wedding my wedding was pretty simple but still i had debt from the wedding now um I, there was a month where i bought a few books for 40 i spent about 40 pounds on books uh, from rolex books if anybody knows in manchester which is the islamic bookshop so i bought a few books from there only two or three books spent 40 40 pounds that month i remember i went into my overdraft because you know but only because I spent forty pound without thinking. On books, yeah, yeah, on books. Like and like, that's the kind of tight budget we were living in. So my advice is is establish yourself. Like when I say establish, at least have a few thousand pounds saved in the bank. Um, have a steady job that you've held for a year or two. Um, have some savings in the bank. Don't have an extravagant wedding. Don't waste. Spend all that money that you saved on the wedding, right? Don't have. Don't have an extravagant wedding. Um. Save that money if you can uh, for your future. Um, so, yeah, do, you know, have some. Uh, I mean, ideally, I'd, I'd say get more established. Like one, one of my another one of my friends is 42 and he's at university and he went through Madrasa system and all the rest of it. And he didn't get a formal education. You know, he went to Afghanistan and Pakistan and Syria and here and there and studied. It sounds like he went, he went to war, but he went to study <laughs> before, all of, before all of this. Yeah, chaos, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, a lot, loads of people went out there to study before all of this happened, yeah. yeah? He went to study, and so he spent studying all these rare books and classical books and stuff, but he never got a formal uh, education in terms of um, academia and being able to get a job. So he, uh, about four or five years ago, it dawned on him, like, look, to get a, to, to be paid a better salary and to, uh, you know, uh, I need to get a formal education. So he went, he went back to university. So both him and I, we were talking like, you know, what we should have done in our 20s, we're trying to make up for now. Like this, this business that I do now, Fit Dad Life Mastery, uh, I've been working on it since, you know, 2013, 2012, 2013. But ideally, had I done something like this when in my 20s, and by the time I was 29, 28, 30, semi-established it, got married, not have to stress about finances and things like that, I, I think that would have served me a lot better yeah okay okay yeah subhanallah i think a lot of uh, uh younger brothers do kind of get stuck between whether i should get married now whether i should wait a little bit and there's always that that kind of conversation that they're having in themselves mm. or within their group of friends and i think i've heard i've heard different answers to be honest but i think there's there's always balance is always the key right and always looking at your context as well like there may be some people's context maybe they come from a wealthy family and they don't yeah. have to earn that much or save that much to be able to start off their married life and, and they can wait a bit. Well, but some people, you know, that's just, you know, if you bring a woman into your life, you're going to suffer and she's going to suffer because you just haven't prepared yourself enough, yeah, you know? Yeah. So there's always, there's always a balance there, subhanAllah. So you're, 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 as you're saying, you, you've got this business that you've created, you know, Adam Khan Fitness, you know, the, the big program in that is Fit Dad Life Mastery Program. And as we said, it's all kind of targeted towards helping South Asian dads. And I, I mean, I can guess from some of the clients that come to you that a lot of their stories are to do with, you know, I'm gaining a lot of weight. 
I know that I'm at risk of diabetes or heart disease and uh, I want to be there for my kids. I want to make sure that I can uh, uh, live my life in, in a way in which I can give energy to my kids. I have enough there. And I, obviously my, my lifespan, obviously it's up to Allah when we die, we don't die, but yeah. we, take, we take care of that so we can hope for a longer lifespan. I'm guessing that's a story, but that's, that's people yeah. coming to you. Did you have something like that behind the motivation? Was was that like you you thought, oh, my kids, that you know, uh, I need to be there for them, or maybe I'm going to be at risk of heart disease, or was there was there some other motivation that got you into uh, doing this kind of work? It was an element of both. So for me, um, I started young. I didn't get to the stage where I was really really obese. I mean, I later on I did, which is ironic after I was training and stuff. Um, so um, I suffered with a rare case of tuberculosis uh, and I was really, really ill um, from the age of, so I, was, I told you I was in boarding school. I left that um, because I, I fell ill um, and I was just getting the living daylights kicked out of me, right? Every day for being ill. Uh, and I mentioned this on another podcast with a brother called, um, oh, I forgot the brother's name, Furqan uh, uh, Jabbar, might know him. A lovely brother so he had me he had me on a podcast and I, I mentioned all of this to him so I was in a uh, Islamic boarding school where if you're ill you just get beaten up right that's what it was like in them days so I got beaten up for months and months and months and then I came home one Ramadan to my own mom I'm just getting living daylights kicked out of me and I was one of those that went there voluntarily like, uh, okay. like you know, people <laughs> send their kids there and I went yeah, there yeah, voluntarily yeah. So mom said, look, you know, if, you, if you're feeling that way, son, you know, you can you can leave. Um, and on the other podcast, those that um, are listening can watch it because I won't go back into all of that detail. But, you know, there's pretty, pretty um, eventful events happened and then I left. So so um, I so I my health deteriorated from the age of 15. It just it was just going downhill big time. I got to a point where I couldn't get out of bed or close myself or feed myself. I started suffering from depression, um, suicidal thoughts and all this stuff. It, you know, it got to such a stage. And then eventually, um, and I, I, during this time, I was seen by various doctors, professionals, they, they thought, you know, physiotherapists, everything. Um, uh, and they couldn't figure out what it was, uh, multiple sclerosis and so many other suggestions. And then eventually I saw a neurologist and this neurologist who saw me, he asked me to take my T-shirt off and I couldn't take my T-shirt off. And uh, and he was like, what's going on? I was like, I'm like, it's trying to take my tissue off. What had happened is I had this rare case of tuberculosis where it is like a, it formed like a tumor in my head from the bone of my skull. And you'll notice that my head is off center. I've got a couple of vertebrae, uh, one or two vertebrae missing that they kind of disintegrated and fell on top of each other. So my vertebrae are kind of, kind of a C1, C2, but some of them are, are out of alignment. Um, so the um, when he saw me trying like struggling to take his t-shirt off, I was um, eighteen at the time, or eighteen or nineteen. And he goes to me and he said to me like, "Son, like, how old are you?" I told him my age. Because what a waste of a life we need to get you to hospital. The next day they rang me, got me hospital bed. I was there for three months. I was like guinea pig there. I had university students coming in and observing me because this was such a rare case. Because normally you get you get TB in the bone, you get it in your chest, and you cough and you cough blood, but I never got it. Um, uh, in my chest, I got it in the bone of my skull. But we were talking earlier about you said if Allah wants me to die, and and I get this as an objection from people sometimes. Look, you know, if, if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. So like, why should I take care of my health? So when I when when I was in uh, when I've studied this with teachers, they've said to me, look, there's there's two avenues that you can happen in life. One is like fixed, you can't do anything about it, and the other is subject to your choices. Like I, I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but this is how I understood it. Like, like a smoker, like Allah, Allah has ordained for his life to be so many years. If he quits smoking, but if he smokes and he doesn't reach his full life potential, so his life potential could be higher than the actual lifespan he reaches. So that's how they explained it to me. So, uh, so this is a similar manner. So here's an example of where I, I believe it's, it was absolutely fixed for me to get this TV. Like there's no chance that, you know, that this was meant to happen uh, and everything that's come from it, like subhanAllah, this is like, you can be, you could make a story of it, everything that came from it. So what happened was uh, you get a TB jab in schools and that prevents you from getting TB. Um, 
So I don't know if they still do it now. Back in the days, they did. So the day I was supposed to get my TB jab, what happened was my dad forgot to sign the paper. The lady had the needle and it was touching my skin. And she saw that the paper wasn't signed. And she said, she said um, oh, we can't do it. So then they came back the following week and it was going to do some more the next year or something. So they said, like, you know, you can do it then. So that day I was supposed to get the, get the jab. At break After break, I was supposed to have the jab. At break time, I got into a fight and I got, I got suspended. And so I didn't get the TB jab. Seven days later, we go to Bangladesh on holiday and I catch TB. Because like, that's the only place I could have got it. It was in Bangladesh. So sinus reconditioning and stuff. So I came back. We don't know what's wrong. I start getting these headaches. And, and my neck starts hurting. I think it's football injury. Doctors even suggested at one point, oh, he's just trying to claim benefits. He just, he just he doesn't want to work. He just wants to be out of college, out of college, and he just wants to claim benefits. That's all it is. Um, so that is an example where, you know, God absolutely decided that that was going to happen. Um, so from that, um, so then uh, during that time, uh, you know, when, you, when you're ill, you know, you don't know, understand the value of something until it's gone. So I was in, like my health deteriorated, I told you, I got to a point where I was bed bound. I mean, there was a summer, I was still in the same house, in the same room. So there's a bed behind me. And uh, I, I remember lying uh, in bed and it was summer, scorching hot. Uh, you could hear all the birds and the children playing outside and the birds singing. And I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't even feed myself. Like I couldn't even put, a, you know, like I couldn't even lift a cup of tea to my mouth. And at that time, there was no f- mobile phone. Like you entertain yourself. Like, I had this rubbish radio, and like <laughs> you could barely tune it in. And that's all I had for entertainment. And people, I had people visiting me, like you know, I was like I was gonna die. Like one person after another, people were coming to see me and stuff. You know, um, so. At that time, like I said, I was going through some suicidal thoughts and I was just, I, I wanted to give up on life. Like I thought, look, I'm just getting worse and worse. And if, if, if I'm going to live like a cabbage, now you see all these motivational videos online, guys have got no legs or no arms and they become CEOs and, you know, they're famous on Instagram and whatnot. But in them days, like it was you had never had these figures, right? So I thought, look, if I'm going to live like this in bed and people are going to have to feed me and help me change my clothes, I don't want to live like what, what do I want out of life? And, you know, you don't know if you're going to, I didn't know if I was going to get better. Like it, the future looked bleak, like it's never going to get better. But I mean, uh, but I used to, because I was quite well versed in the Quran and from I had Islamic background. I also knew that suicide is, is haram. Giving up on uh, Allah, you know, um, giving up on um, Allah's in, um, what's the word? Hanut. Uh, yeah. Hanut yeah. is, is haram as well. Uh, and also, um, um, that Allah doesn't place a burden on you more than I can, you can bear um, plus the hadith that whenever you burden with something Allah is removing some of your sins and all of that stuff uh, plus the support of my mom just kept, kept me alive Alhamdulillah I'm glad I stayed alive because we wouldn't be here today so, so then eventually when they got me to hospital they did a biopsy they took a piece of this thing out and they found out it was TB and he said to me that I remember the doctor saying to me look you know what it can be one of three conditions it's either some fluid and we can drain it out if it's a, uh, if it's a tumor we're gonna have to cut it out but you, you know we've got the best surgeons and the reason why I couldn't move is these bones that had collapsed they were digging into my spinal cord so any movement would uh, would dig into my spinal cord and send like this electric shock you know through my body like crazy man it's like next level pain um, so uh, but then he goes, look, the best best uh, diagnosis we can have if it's TB. If it's TB, we can treat it with medication. Uh, Alhamdulillah, it turned out to be TB and they treated it with medication. But in them few years, though, in them few years, like we were out of desperation. We saw everybody, uh, you know, Raqis, people selling Tawizis, Peels, everything. And oof, my mom must have spent, we were on benefits. My, my dad wasn't working. And my mom still must have spent about five, 10K, uh, borrowed money, all sorts. And we had, we had some people, you know, who are, uh, you know, community leaders, well-known imams and stuff, right? Telling us it's gins. And, and like, it's going to cost 60 pounds. And then 
constantly giving us new taoises and new thingy and it's just we're just paying like this subscription offer and like telling us it's gins and it's this gin it's that gin and someone's done black magic and it's this and that as soon as we found out it's tb within six months gone in six weeks i was like already like really improved and six months it's gone and this is why i'm always skeptical when i see people constantly like yes we know evil eye exists we know black magic exists we know gins exist but we shouldn't be attributing every illness, everything, unless we're absolutely certain that that's the case. Um, uh, and then after I recovered from that, it was the first time in my life I started gaining weight. Because prior to that, I was always skinny, like really skinny, underweight. At, at about 18 years old, I was seven stones. And like the cheeks and my bones, I was like, you know, like... <laughs> and... Um, so when I first recovered and I started gaining weight, the doctors were like, brilliant. Like, it's good. It's a good sign, this. And then I started gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. I never got to extortion amounts, but for the first time ever, I had a belly. Um, and I was working part-time at this time. I was trying to jog to work. I was getting late and I was always quite active. So I'm trying to jog to work. And all of a sudden, my leg, I, I thought I'm getting late. I need to get to work, you know. Uh, I tried to jog and I couldn't move. Like, it's like, wow. All of a sudden, it's like somebody just put this backpack on me of like 30 and my legs felt heavy. And I thought, wow, like something's wrong. And, and I remembered then, it just dawned on me that when I was ill, I made a promise to God that if I became better, I would not take it for granted. I would not take my health for granted. And here I was. As humans, we are, uh, you know, forgetful. And I, I was neglectful and I was taking my health for granted. And, you know, I let myself go. So I thought, from then, I thought, you know what, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to sort this out. And I had a friend who was in the gym constantly. And even with him, I'd make excuses. He'd say to me, um, like, um, you know, you need to get to the gym. Why don't you come to the gym with me? And I'd say, no, I'm exercising my brain, not my body. <laughs> and you've got body dysmorphia. I'd say, uh, and I'd project my own insecurities to him and i'd say well, you got body dysmorphia but then but then after this incident i thought you know what i'm gonna give it a go i went to the gym and it was uh 2002 uh sort of christmas holidays and i just went crazy like three four hours training strict dieting reducing like not eating much at all like the typical process that people go through and i lost so much weight like when i went back after the christmas holidays to university like everyone was like wow, like, you've lost weight. Like, I'd lost about a stone and a half. Right. A <laughs> stone in two weeks. Wow. Right? That's, that's like, that's very... Un unhealthy, though. Like, yeah, unhealthy yeah, yeah. weight. Like, yeah. Five hours. It's crazy. Um, so I kept that up uh, as much as I could. Um, uh, and then I, I lost all my weight, got married, <laughs> had kids, <laughs> and, uh, and asked that the weight started creeping up again. But I mean, I was still training. I was still training, like, not like the four or five hours a day. It was like, you know, I was training five, six hours a week, seven hours a week. Um, plus, I was trying to put muscle on. and I did this bulking stuff a little bit. And, you know, it's it stupid. Uh, so from then, so from then about, from about 2005 to 2006, until 2012, I struggled with my weight. Like, I was in the gym. I was supposedly eating clean, supposedly dieting. But I was still, um, I, was, I, I was just kind of just, I was between very fat and fat, yeah. very fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat. You know, I, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of guys would relate to that, you know, even myself. Like we, I, I don't know, maybe it's, uh, I, I don't know if you, you come across this a lot with your clients and if it is something that is a pattern that we see amongst Muslims or amongst South Asians that, once we start thinking about our health, we just don't know what to do with it because maybe in our community there are no people to look towards or maybe our fathers or our uncles or the men in our community didn't really get involved in uh, sporty activities or get involved in going to the gym and taking care of their health and whatnot. And so you maybe you find in other cultures 
that they are more active uh, or okay. they in their families like for example you know i i don't know anyone uh, one to one but you might see for example in movies and stuff right that um you know dads taking their sons to sports or i mean when i played football when i was yeah. a teenager i always saw uh the you know white dads and whatnot coming to watch yeah. the games and and helping yeah. their yeah. sons out and whatnot yeah. so maybe those children from those communities have something to look towards and so they know yeah. what they're doing when they're getting into changing their bodies and their dietary habits and whatnot but for south asians or muslims it seems like that isn't there so when they go into that field i remember i did that and when i was 17 i thought yeah let me go to gym and pump a few weights and yeah. uh eat a lot of chicken and and somehow yeah. that will uh that, that that will get me to the body that i want and then just yeah. went up and down and up and down and up and down until i was able to actually learn properly you know and is that is that is that like a yeah. a, a common thing that you see it is it's very common so there's another trigger so one was my trigger was that i was Ill, I was um, ill and I recovered. Another yeah. thing, when I was about eight, nine years old, my dad had a heart attack. Oh, Eventually, my, my, my dad passed away from a stroke. You know what I said? He was unconscious. Yeah. This I was like, his, the, uh, I mean, this was like his sixth stroke. Like, wow. So, I'm about, so when I was about eight or nine, I was in, uh, I was in the, now it was called Junior One. I think it's year four year five or something now i don't know um so i was in junior one and he, my I, that's when my dad had his first heart attack must have been his late for late 40s um and i remember writing on a card that you know get well soon dad and teacher asking me like you know why i made a post on this on facebook because i i found a school picture with that teacher in, in that picture um and and, and it, everything all the memories came back and I made a post on it and, and she was asking me like, what's wrong with your dad? And I said, look, you know, I didn't understand it at the time. It was a heart attack. I just said like hospital, uh, you know, all this ambulance came and took him away and stuff like that. And he was in the hospital a few days and my mom was struggling because she didn't speak any English and with little kids. And at that time there was a lot of racism and, and, and violence. We used to get people smashing our windows and stuff um, and, and throwing things through the letterbox, putting dog feces through the letterbox and stuff. Um, where we lived in now, Manchester, now you were growing up in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Oldham, just outside okay. of Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, it's so there's all that. So, um, my my dad, remember, and I and I always point this out to people who are quite negligent about the house. We never had a car, like we couldn't afford a car. My dad used to walk everywhere. He used to carry the shopping, right? My dad was quite frugal like that. He'd carry the shopping from supermarket, supermarket, right? And he used to walk everywhere, and he abhorred takeaways and stuff. Like he was dead against him. Like I remember once I got my takeaway, my dad was like, I had really had a go at me. Um, but there weren't that many takeaways then anyway. Like I can remember only one or two in my whole area. Now there's like 10 on the, on, on top of my street. On one road. <laughs> yeah. And there was there wasn't many. And so my dad never ever in his life had a takeaway, I don't think, right? And um he used to walk everywhere. He he was quite active in that sense, not sports or anything like that, and he wasn't a smoker. Nothing like that. And he still had a heart attack, at, like in his late 40s. And then, um, you know, in 1994, after he came back from Bangladesh, um, he had, um, this is the first time I went there, he had a stroke. And uh, that was his big stroke. That left him half his body paralyzed. Then after that, my mum became his main carer and his health kept deteriorating. This is another like scary situation. Like he couldn't do much for himself, like even clean himself. He couldn't do any of that. And then he had little strokes after that, and it just kept getting worse. And then um, in 2002, he had that, another stroke, and he was in hospital for about three months, and then he passed away. Um, but by that time, he was, you know, he was, he was 60, 67, you know, 65, 60, about 67, because in, in our family, like, nobody knows their dates of birth exactly, uh, yeah. because we've never kept the thing. So yeah. it's about 67. Um which is still not super, super old. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, um, but then from 94 to 2002, he never really had a life. Like he was housebound, bedbound, mm. bound, housebound with a stroke, he'd have a, a frame and stuff. And that's yeah. no quality of life. So even if we argue that, okay, you know, when you're going to die, you're going to die, right? But what about the quality of life? Yes. You know, we, we call it health span. In, in, in the fitness industry, they call it health span. What about your health span? You might, you might live. You might be alive, but are you living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, and and what kind of, like, it was it was tough for my mom. It was tough for us, like, with our, with our dad. Now, 
you know, do you want to be, do you want to be dad where your kids are cleaning you? Do you want to spend the last 15, 20 years of your life where all you, you're just there so that your wife can clean you and your children mm. can clean you and look after you, you know, or do you want to be there with your grandchildren and, and, and your children and run around with them in the park? Like yeah. at 67. And it's very possible. Like I see fit non-Asian dads. Inshallah, we try to change that. Like sure. we have a client now. He's in his um, 53, 54, I think it is. He's in the gym. Fantastic. And inshallah, inshallah. I said to him, look, I, I, you know, his, his honor is about 10th week or 11th week. And I said to him, you know, uh, brother, well, I, I want you to be the role model. That's the envy of 20 year olds. Inshallah. <laughs> so I want to get you get to a point, get you to a point where you're the envy of 20 year olds. And he's, I've not, he's the eldest uh, client that, that I've got, uh, I've had. Now, but when I look in social media, I'm in fitness circles and stuff. I see like, uh, people from the wider population yeah 65 70 sorry 75 80 and they they, they look fit i mean just just go down to your local park and you, and you'll see the, the the old white ladies old white men walking around you know yeah. uh, and, and 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 looking fit and healthy and playing with their children jogging and, and you and you can tell yeah and jogging and all sorts and you can tell that they are quite old like they, they're in that kind yeah. of 70 plus range easy easy i mean the other thing i do i love hiking i go hiking quite a lot and you go rambling as well if you go hiking and rambling you'll see maybe 40 50 even 60 people mainly old white people and you might see the odd one or two asian the odd one or two or, or, or none at all but you know 60 70 of them uh, will be white uh, and it's not it's uh, you know alhamdulillah i think it's changing now a little bit um but my concern, my biggest concern, uh, and there was somebody posted earlier about children picking children up from school. Like we used to walk to school and stuff, and now they get picked up. And I said, you know, it's, it has its pros and cons and stuff, and I understand the reason why some do it. Um, so our inact, uh, we're far more inactive. Our young uh, children are far more inactive than they ever were. There's more takeaways, and they're eating more junk food than they ever have. Um, there's more dessert places. Um, there's just so many more. Um, factors that are that are eating into their health. Now, if we are in a sorry state at this age, like uh, God help them, like, God help the next generation, like where will, where they will be. Um, and like I said, my, if my dad had a stroke, being active and all that's not very takeaway. Like where where do we stand, and where does the next generation stand? Uh, and 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 that is and that is a big concern. But like you said, there's not that many role models. And you know you don't have fathers taking the thingy. Within in our society, in our community, um, our most social events are around food. Most family social events is around food. Um, even when the kids are being taken out, parents take them to a dessert place, or they take them to a kebab shop. Um, teenagers when they get older, it's kebab shops and shisha, right? <laughs> and it's it's all detrimental to their health um but alhamdulillah we're fortunate we don't have the alcohol issue um yes alhamdulillah but um the um yeah it's so, unless so we change what, some things and uh, so when once you kind of started learning a lot more about uh all of this uh kind of understanding exactly how to get your health up properly you know like you said you're kind of getting flipping and flopping between this diet and that diet and this workout and that workout until you yeah. started creating a proper kind of regiment regime for yourself yeah. and, and, and yeah. doing it properly did did you then think about uh how you're going to be able to teach that to your children and how you're going to sort of uh role model that within your household and what 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 measures did you take for that so um like i do little workouts and stuff at home with the kids okay um and now my son's a bit older. He's 13. He goes to, goes to the gym with me. Oh, um, nice. So he, he trains with me. But our teenagers have zero consistency and zero resilience. So, but I, I, I'm, on his, I'm on him. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm on his case. And um, so not, not, he's, he's 70% adherent, right? So he's, he's kind of still going. So Alhamdulillah, you know, we do that together. Um, and, you know, we used to be very active. Since it's become a teenager, it's become a lot more difficult. Um, he just wants to sit around uh, at home. Um, we used to go uh, as a family. Um, so I'm divorced once and I'm remarried. Um, so 
the lady that I'm married to now, she's very, she was active um, and I'm active and um, she trains, she goes to the gym and stuff. Uh, and we like hiking and stuff and we used to take the kids out, uh, her, her kids and, and, and my kids, you know, uh, we used to take them out hiking and stuff. But since they became teenagers, it's absolute nightmare. We try and force them, but <laughs> it is, it is it's, it's uh, quite difficult. Um, but inshallah, inshallah, like she's, she's, uh, she's a good health role model. Uh, I'm a good health role model. It will it will rub off on them. But alhamdulillah, all our kids are very slim as well. So okay, alhamdulillah. What what are some of the things that that you'd advise? Because you know, like me personally, well, my kids are quite young right now. One of them is three, and one of them is one. Okay, so obviously, uh, inshallah, there's there's a lot a lot of kind of uh, learning to do, and a lot a lot a lot more I can do with them as they get older. But but I'm sure a lot of people listening have kids in kind of, you know, the, the sort of eight, nine, ten years old where they want to eat a lot of junk food, where they want to snack and they want to do this and they want to sit down with their snacks and play games and watch movies and whatnot. And as a parent, obviously you want to make sure that they have the best, right? That they are eating healthy, that their their brains are being powered by nutritious, nutritious food and whatnot. But then at the same time, you don't want, you feel like, some parents feel like they're depriving them of a childhood, you know, not giving them sweets and things like that. Maybe their friends, they see them and, and they go to school, with their friends and their friends and their packed lunches have all sorts of stuff in there. And you as a parent don't want your child to have that. So I, I'm sure you've had conversations with the dads that you've been you've been uh, uh, kind of working with on how how they can possibly help their own children and and, 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 and model those kind of behaviors in the household. So do you have like any tips to, to, to make sure yeah. that you're building good habits in the children as well? I think the best thing is, is if you don't do it yourself, if you don't overeat on junk and you don't have a lot of chocolate yourself, then it won't be in the house as much. Like uh, you have to limit the quantity you have in the house. So you have just enough, uh, but not excessive amounts. And you have to teach them that respect that, yes, you can have chocolate, maybe once a day, um, you know, once every couple of days. Uh, you could have, I mean, it has its pros and cons. You could have it where you earn it. Like, have your food, do everything, and then you can have a chocolate, not five chocolates. But the biggest thing is really limiting how much you have in the house. And in terms of in their packed lunch and stuff, if you condition them from a young age, it just becomes a norm. Like it just becomes a norm and they're okay with it. Like my son, my, my kids, are, I've, you know, the, the lady that I'm with now, she says like, you deprived them. <laughs> so, so, so the, um, I, 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 cause I'm very health conscious and one of the problems that the, the listeners or viewers will have is that when they can't control their cravings and stuff, but I'll let you into a little secret. Cravings happen from associations and from your environment. Like cravings happen above the neck. It's not a biological response. It's not what you, what's called homeostatic hunger, right? It happens above the neck. It happens due to triggers, envi environmental triggers and associations. Like if every time I sit down and I watch TV, I have a uh, chocolate and crisps or a, a bowl of popcorn. And I've associated watching TV with having that food. So it's a, a habit loop. Um, so there's that. And it's the environment. Like, if there's chocolate, like if there's, if there's chocolate in the house and it's in front of me, I'm gonna eat chocolate. Like, I'm not. I don't have some magical willpower. People think that trainers and coaches have some magical willpower that they're always right. I'm willpower now. I'm not gonna eat it. No, you just control the environment. So, for for that reason, I never have a lot of chocolates and crisps in the house, and then and I haven't had for years. So, kind of re to reduce my own temptation, but. As a result of that, my kids couldn't have it either. So I would only get the amount that they need for their packed lunch. And, and that's it. And the other thing I would do is I would get the chocolates that I don't like. Like Milky Way. I can't stand Milky Way. I don't like Mars bars. So I might get them a little Mars bar. I might get them little Milky Ways. But because I said, I, for, so, I mean, so for several years, I bought my kids up on my own after I got divorced. And, um, and I made packed lunches for them. And um, I gave them healthy-ish packed lunches mm -hmm. you know, for all them years. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, the old chocolate bar and stuff. And, yeah, you hear them swapping something <laughs> with their friends in school. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's not often. It's not often. But having said that, 
you make their food tasty. Kids don't care. As long as the food's tasty, they'll eat it. Like, I'd make them um, chicken wrap with, with air fried chicken. Yeah. Right? And it's, and it's grilled chicken. And uh, and his friends would want to eat it. His friends would ask <laughs> to buy, buy them off him. <laughs> like, and they'd tell him, oh, wow, like, your dad's food is so tasty. And um, they'd have like greasy oily foods that their their parents have sent them or it's a yeah. fried chicken burger or it's or it's pilau rice and it's or whatnot um and it's a greasy food and these kids are wanting to swap greasy foods for the healthy <laughs> option so so mashallah that's really good that's really good yeah speaking about foods and stuff um I'm sure some of the the, the dads that come to you to kind of kind of change change their life around a little bit a lot of them will probably say I can't, you know, I can, I can give up the cravings and the chocolates and the crisps and all of that. I can go to the gym, I can work out, fine, but I can't give up my roti. I can't give up my, 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 my curries. I can't, I can't do that, you know. So mm. how, how, how do you get around that? that? That's one of my USPs is that you can eat curry, you can eat roti, you know, you can, you can eat them. Roti is not, no, isn't that bad at all. Um, um, and curries aren't really bad either. The only bad thing in a curry is the excess oil. So if you if you reduce the oil, yes, you might have to compromise a little bit on taste. But um, I mean, you've got to ask yourself: is that compromise worth it? So that's why one of the things that I will always do with, with clients, like uh, a brother's messaging me today, and I'm asking a question, and, he, and I could see him getting a little bit frustrated with my questioning. And but my point of the questions is to see if he's serious and if he's going to commit. If he's got a strong enough reason, um, if he doesn't have a strong enough, and I've, and I've explained, I said, look, you know, my reputation hinges on your results and our clients' results. Now, if I take on somebody who's not really committed, they've not given it enough thought, they're not serious, like they've not, like there's a, there's a stage, like before change happens, and you could, I, I've got a pretty decent video in my free group on Facebook, if anybody's listening and is interested, it's a, Prochaska and De Clemente's cycle of change. So there's a process you have to go through before change happens. And if somebody is, 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 is here on that process and, and our, program, our program is here, before they can get on that program and make it work for them, they need to be further down that cycle of change. If they're here and they jump onto that program, they, are, they, they weren't ready. So they're not going to commit. They're not going to make those, even those, they're not even going to make the tiny compromises, never mind the bigger compromises. They won't even be willing to make the tiny sacrifices, the tiny compromises, or um, even in, in terms of time, not just taste and food, but in terms of time, because they're not ready. So I'll often question people to see how ready they are. Uh, and sometimes, uh, like, it can, it, it can get, if you're not ready, it's going to get very frustrating because you'd be like, just tell me, like, what's the program like why do you want you know just tell like this brother said to me look just tell me the price tell me what the program is and and, and then let's i said well let's before we get to that you know so um so um when people are ready uh, and that goes back to looking at your why looking at um having had that period of contemplation so you have to have a period of uh contemplation where you think about you know what like yes it is affecting my life my kids are being affected. I do want to be a role model for my kids. I've lost the chemistry in my marriage. You know, I'm not that youthful, attractive dude that, you know, my wife married. Uh, you, know, she, you know, there's that chemistry has died and all. The, so it's affecting my, you know, my relationships, my marriage, and in some cases, even my finances. So I have a lot of brothers who are professionals and they do presentations and things like that. So they, when they start, sometimes they get, you know, when they go into that period of contemplation, and start reflecting and think, do you know what? Like, I'm afraid to do presentations or I'm self-conscious when I do presentations, which is affecting my ability to deliver on presentation. Or I'm, you know, like one brother said to me, he was he, he didn't apply for jobs because he knew that that next role was going to pay him another 7K uh, thing he's going to require. He has to do a lot of presentations or he has to be wow. speaking in public. And he knew that that's going to evolve. Mm. And he was so self-conscious. And it didn't even, sometimes, it's, uh, I mean, one brother told me, it didn't even dawn on him till he just got on the program got on the program and did some deep soul searching. Like another brother was a, as a fundraiser. Yeah. And he, was, he, was, he used to go out to a lot of events and speak on the stage. And he goes, 
um, what not happened, he's noticed that over the last three years, he's like, he start making petty excuses. Oh, I can't attend this reason, that reason. And he start, and he goes, he slowly kind of faded into the background yeah. and he stopped doing these events. He goes only after he did a bit of soul searching and when he was in the program, he could realize that he was making excuses because he was self-conscious of being on stage. Right. Right. And he's gone, he'd gone so big. He was self-conscious of what people are going to be thinking, what are they going to be saying. He is so he, he he kind of just faded into the background. Yeah. So the, the, so your 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 health can actually affect you in in multiple ways, or, or your yes, your body yes. image, because because you know I, I think throughout this whole podcast we were mainly talking about taking care of our health in terms of our 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 physical bodies and and making sure that that's okay and we have energy and we're there for our children, yeah. but even your own mental health will suffer from yeah. your from your from your bad physical health as well and mm. even your career can suffer like we said like yeah. if you're somebody who say you've got the brains right and you just know that but it's your confidence that's lacking mm. right because of, of your body image um and you're not applying for the next job so you're not moving up in your career or yeah. you're the guy who's raising funds and these are all real life examples like mm. these are not even things that i've thought about these are examples that clients yeah. have shared with me but somebody who's not ready won't even make the tiniest amount of compromise. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, we, but we will never ask you that you need to be in the gym five hours a week. You need to go do cardio for hours. You need to cut out routines. You need to cut out curries. Yeah. We won't. Any of that, that. That, that, that's we what will... I was going to ask you because a lot of a lot of dads are going to say like, "This sounds great. Like, I I I want to I want to get fit. I want to get healthy. I want to look better for my wife. I want to be able to take care of my kids. I want to have a longer life health span. You know, all that kind of stuff." But Look, at the end of the day, I'm a dad. I'm busy. Yeah, I have to work. I have to look after my kids. Um, you know, when am I going to get time? You know, maybe I can go play football here and there. Maybe I can go for a jog here and there. But I'm not going to get time to focus on my health like this. So, you mm. you know, you, like you were saying, no. you're saying that you don't have to go to gym that much. You don't have to no. put in that You don't have to hours. go at all. You don't have to go at all. Um, Interesting. I, I've, got, I've got a client called Abdul Shukur who lost... 25 and a half kg in 12 weeks during lockdown without ever going to the gym um now um or any kind of training now what happened he before that he'd done keto done this diet the gym and everything and then on our program alhamdulillah none of that i managed to lose 25 kg in 12 weeks um without any kind of strict diet or anything like that so um when it comes to weight loss weight loss is actually really easy Right, as soon as you as soon, as soon as you build certain habits and routines, things like that, it, it's it's really easy. When you if you want to build muscle, and you want an aesthetic physique, then you do need to go to the gym. Well, you don't even need to go to the gym. You need to resist your strength. You need to take time out. You need to take dedicated dedicated time out for that purpose. But when it comes to weight loss, you don't really need to take time out, depending on how fast or slow you want it to go. And um, once we, on the program, we tell people like, look, if you want to lose this much weight, if you want to go at this rate, this is what you need to do. If you want to go at this pace, this is what you need to do. And each of them will require different uh, time commitments. If you wanted to lose about half a kg a week, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really need to take any time out at all. You just need to make some tweaks and changes to your existing routine. Um, uh, and you could you could do it that way, uh, you and that would pre- mostly impact your nutrition. Um, and if you wanted to speed that up a little bit, then you know you you can add in some activity. You can do your nutrition part and add in some activity. But that activity can be integrated into your day quite yeah. easily okay. with your kids, with your wife. Um, so you don't have to even, take out extra time from being a dad. You could whilst being a dad, you can implement yeah. certain things. Mm. Yeah. Especially when you've got young kids, you know, um, you can take them to the park. I know it's winter and it's cold now, um, but the kids don't mind. I think we, we find it more of a problem than they do. <laughs> That's true. Um, the, um, um, but yeah, uh, but like I said, with that minimal amount of effort, you could lose about half a kg a week. And, yeah. and one of the things that we kind of really push is that, look, this is not a temporary thing. You know, it's not a, a quick fix or, uh, um, yeah, it's, it, we have a 12-week and 24-week program, but... Um, this see it as this is the start of your new life. Like even after you finish this, you know you're gonna continue with these habits and routines and things like that. Um, but because they're not so uh, intrusive uh, and they're not so demanding, they don't require you to take hours and hours out. You can quite easily um, maintain them. Myself personally, like I work like twelve to sixteen hours a day. 
sat behind a computer. Uh, since 2019, I'm a full-time online coach. Right, right? Okay. So, and if I'm not sat behind the computer, work isn't getting done. Like things are slowing down. Alhamdulillah, yeah. I've got like seven, I've got seven members of staff, and I'm still feel like I'm still having <laughs> to work 12, 12, 13 hours, and it's all behind the computer. When I away from the computer, I get anxiety. <laughs> like there's things that need to be done, and yeah. I, I like just before just before I came on the podcast here today, I thought like, I need to get out. It's not been you know it stopped raining because it always rains in Manchester, and yeah. it wasn't raining today as well. I thought you know I've not really gone out for a walk in, in a good few days, yeah. so let me just get out, get some fresh air, get, uh, and and um, get some you know walking in. And I, I listen to my audible and stuff like that. And I'm thinking right, I'm not wasting time. I'm still doing stuff. Despite that, in the back of my mind, like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to finish this, I need to, yeah. I've got this presentation to complete, got this to do and that to do. And um, despite that, being sat behind the computer um, for so many hours a day, Alhamdulillah, I still haven't put on tons of weight. Um, there must be some so, magic formula there. So that's, that's, that's the same formula that I teach the clients. You know? Right. So, so I, don't is, do any, is... I don't do anything different that I don't... Um, yeah. You know, I don't do anything different that I, that, that I teach. I think that's the, like, the misconception a lot of people have. They think that like personal trainers are in this kind of magic world, right? Where they, 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 they kind of have their own uh, way of, 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 of supernaturally kind of keeping fit and, and you know, ordinary people can't, can't do those kind of things. And then, and then people give yeah. up. And I, I, to be honest, I had, the, I had those misconceptions. Like I always used to think that, you know... Um, like online coaches like yourself, it's, it's a fad, you know, it doesn't really work, um, you know, or, or I'd say things like, well, you know, um, I've, I've just got Asian genes. Yeah, I've heard yeah, people say this a lot, right? I've yeah. just got Asian genes, so so it's not really going to change much, right? Uh, that's what I'd say to myself. But, you know, once I kind of got serious that, okay, I've got kids now and I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm, I've... I'm sorting out my health. Like I don't want to be flipping flopping like I was doing when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, in university and whatnot. Now, uh, you know, I've got kids and I need to be serious about doing it in, in a proper way. And once you do kind of take it seriously and look into it properly and have somebody, have uh, somebody who, that holds you account and knows what they're talking about, uh, then you find, you find out actually all of this stuff is accessible. All of this stuff mm. is pretty easy. All of this mm. stuff can be done by the average person, by the average dad, by the average mm. South Asian Muslim, right? Um, mm. and, and it's like what you said, it just requires that why, right? It just requires mm. making sure that that why and that, that commitment is strong. And then everything else after that is, is, is easy, to be honest. The weight loss part, you can do easily. Yeah, right? yeah, weight exactly. Loss easy. Weight loss part is, bad. again, see, a lot of people assume it's about diet and it's about yeah. workout. It's not. The weight loss part is about mindset, Mm. motivation education and behaviors and lifestyle yeah. um, it's because your weight loss comes down to nutrition but your nutrition is dictated by your mindset mm. and your behaviors and uh, i mean all of it is kind of enveloped by mindset because a lot of the things and the stories you're telling yourself is dictating how you eat mm. i deserve this food do you yeah. really like <laughs> <laughs> you know i deserve this food or um Okay, I'll t- a little mindset thing I'd say to clients when they say, oh, I, I deserve this. Well, first of all, the education is okay. You've been to the gym, right? You burn, you think. And again, there's a lot of misinformation. And even sometimes it's irresponsible PTs and coaches that put this information out there, like HIIT training, right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, you're doing a HIIT training, you're going to burn a ton of calories. HIIT training, you'll only really burn about 150, 200 calories max. Mm. That's if you do about 25 minutes, 30 minutes of HIIT training, and you're already pretty fit so that you can train at that really high level. If right. you're not fit and you're not training at a, at a really high level, then 100 calories you burn. So you come out of that and you feel beaten up because you train like hit training and you, you're assuming you burn thousands of calories. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you go and have a, a, a latte, which is 350 calories. And you just right? put it all back on. <laughs> so now you just, you're in a 250 calorie surplus. I actually saw this on yesterday on somebody's Facebook feed like oh i deserve this and they weren't training and they did some pilates or something and um and i knew that pilates are what 60 70 70 calories 100 calories yeah. you know yeah, and yeah. um and then um they went into a they said straight after they went to starbucks and had a latte and i, and I could see this they had the cream and stuff on it i thought that's like a three four hundred calorie drink now 
that's that could that might be down to just education so they didn't they didn't understand this this the, the energy balance you know sequence right so that my education also it's a mindset like i deserve it so one of the things i would say to clients is when, when they say i deserve it i'd say look but don't you deserve to live longer as well right yeah so swap that thought for i deserve to i deserve i deserve a latte i deserve to live longer now I'm going to erase this, um, I deserve this latte, I'm going to swap it for, I deserve to live longer and, and eat something else or compromise on the taste or, or find an alternative. Yeah. Just, so just, just, to, just to wrap up, Adam, um, you were saying before, you mentioned very, very briefly that you, you know, for seven years, you were taking care of uh, your, your two children on your own because you went through a yeah. divorce period. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I wanted to end on this is because you know, I this is this is the first time we're having a, a, a full on conversation. I mean, I only contacted you a few days ago, right? And and uh, I'm I'm what I'm getting across from you is that you're this super motivated individual who wants to really help uh, uh, South Asian dads uh, kind of beat this issue within our community of of just being lazy, of not taking care of our health. Like that's coming through throughout this whole podcast. But you went through a period of 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 hardship for for many number of years yeah you still come out on the other end as this motivated individual as somebody who wants to help other people as you know and a dad yourself uh and that's something that i inspire to as well like as a dad it's not that i just like obviously i want to um be there for my kids i want to influence my kids but i also want to be like a role model that they can look up to that look i'm also helping out other people too which is why i had this yeah. podcast because i i i want to make sure i help out other dads and they can understand and learn from from other muslim dads about the experiences and hopefully my kids when they grow up and they see that you know whilst you're taking care of us you're also trying to help out other dads and those dads are going to help out their children so i think i quite i, I find it quite motivating and inspiring that you've you're getting to that stage and you are at that stage where you're able to do that but you've had this period of hardship and you've been able, been able to overcome it. So could you mind if you just go into a little bit into those, those, that period and, and how you got out of it and got to this stage now where yeah. you're confident in yourself and, and you're making other people confident in themselves as well? Yeah, so um, around 2012, uh, I got divorced. Now, like I said, I was always training. Since, since 2002, I was always training, but I struggled with my weight and I gained a lot of weight. Um, and in 2012, um, I was around the fattest ever, right? Despite training five times a week and eating healthy, clean. And this is why I even put a post up today. I said, don't confuse clean eating with eating to lose weight. Yes, you know, there's lots of little nuances. And, and once again, we're going to a lot of detail explaining it. Sometimes on, on sound bites, people don't get the nuance. Um, now, um, so at 2000, around 2012, I was the fattest ever. I got divorced. And when you get divorced, you, you, you reevaluate everything. You reevaluate, you reevaluate your whole life. And, and then plus, you know, um, uh, you, this trigger tends to go off where you think, like, okay, I need to change. I need to be better myself and stuff. Yeah. And plus I wanted to get back on the, I, I wanted to get back on the shelf. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be, uh, I was wanted to get remarried. I was always 32. Sure. Um, sure. So I thought like, you know, I, I want to be an eligible candidate. Um, but, at that time as well, uh, I thought, you know, enough is enough. I've been training for years. I've tried to understand this stuff and I haven't. So I, I started doing some like deeper research, uh, you know, uh, enrolling on like higher priced courses and stuff uh, and learning this stuff. But uh, around that time, in terms of the, the motivation to start the, the, the business off was I was involved with some charity organizations. And, and I was part of, um, so after I was in a full-time job, but after I got divorced, because I took the kids, oh, yeah. you, I couldn't work full-time, right? Mm. I couldn't work full-time. Like, I took I took my kids into work once when, when I first got them. And, and they said, look, our kids at work, like, so, you know, <laughs> see. So I said, well, I'm going to have to quit. And I had to, I had to quit. So yeah. now I was, then I started working for the masjid and I was on 300 pound uh, a month. And, and this is another issue with Muslim organization institutions is that when the minimum wage went up by 20p, yeah, they refused to pay me. Wow. <laughs> this was a this was a large Muslim organization. I'm not going to name it, but it's a large sure, one sure. that's pretty well established, right? And mm. you think that they pay 
really well. But I was only on six pounds something. It went back twenty up by twenty p, and I was refused to pay. And I was quite disheartened about by this. And um, at the same time, I was doing a lot of voluntary work for charity, and um, and I was always asking for donations, but I couldn't make many donations myself. And that really, really left a sour t- t- taste in my mouth. Like, you know, I'm asking everyone for donations and I can't donate. And the people that were around me, they all have decent jobs. Like the people that other, the other volunteers, yeah. the pharmacists and, and solicitors, and they had d- decent jobs. And I, I was the, the mustard must, must yeah, teacher. Yeah, yeah. You have that intention as well. I'm doing yeah. it for the sake of Allah. I'm teaching people yeah. how to read Quran and learn Arabic and stuff. So, um, so at that time, like I did this for, I was doing this for eight, nine months uh, a year. And then one day I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to step back uh, from all of this extra uh, voluntary work that I'm doing. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to mm-hmm. work on myself and better myself and try and get to a stage where, you know, like Professor Edison said, look, the hand that gives is better than the hand that takes. So I said, I don't want to be the, the guy asking for donations. You know, I want to be in a position where I can give donations and give it, give it uh, liberally and generously, you know. So um, I, 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 then I, and I was always had this entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. Um, so I started looking into online, you know, marketing and this, that, and, and what can I do? So I looked, assessed all my uh, strengths, uh, 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 and things and I launched a Quran course actually I still, it's still there I didn't market it I, I launched a Quran course to learn Arabic um, and it's called uh, understand the Quran in 40 days like because when I was at university I learned to understand the Quran in like six weeks uh, on my own from books so so uh, so um, I, I thought okay let's let's see if I can make this into a course which I did but then I didn't market it um, but then I realized that, you know what, there's so many sheikhs and scholars, and I'm not like a scholar or anything like that, and, um, and everyone's doing it. And another sister who's a, she, she's a business mentor, she said to me, look, you know, that market's saturated, lots of people doing it. Um, but you're, I've seen you, you're into, you know, health and fitness. And I know that your other interest is health and fitness. Is there a need in our community for that? Mm. I thought, yeah, there is. And it's something I enjoy and I've been doing for years. And in 2012, I managed to figure out, between 2012 and 13, I managed to figure out the secret of weight loss. If you know. <laughs> yeah. And I lost my weight and I kept it off. It'd been like four years I'd kept the weight off without too yeah. much struggle, like without crazy struggle. I thought, actually, actually, I'm onto something here. I've actually got something here. I've got onto something here. It works. So that's when I started looking into um, doing something here. I, in relation to health and fitness and i discovered at the time i didn't know at the time and i discovered and this is a uh, an interesting fact and one that um our people need to know is that um asian men are six times more likely to suffer from heart disease diabetes yeah. and strokes in their 30s and that is getting younger every year that's getting younger and younger every year. I speak to so many brothers who are 32, 31 and the diabetic. 30 and the diabetic. Like this, before it used to be about in their 40s, yeah. late 30s. Um, but we are genetically predisposed to it. Like we are gene- genetically predisposed to it. So in, in the white community, it's in their 50s, diabetes is a, is a concern. Uh, amongst Asians, it used to be around 40s, late, 40s, late 30s. Now it's getting younger and younger. But you can see why the dessert place is everywhere, yeah. Right, uh, and 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 there's all these sugary coffees everywhere, right? So that plus inactivity, yeah. um, everyone drives everywhere. Uh, all that combined, it's getting worse. And if we don't do something now, our next generation is going to be even worse. Mm. Um, so that was a scary statistic, and quite a lot of my clients are pharmacists and doctors, and surprisingly. This information I got from the uh, from British Heart, British Heart Foundation, diabetes.co.uk, and the NHS. Yeah. Surprisingly, a lot of the doctors and pharmacists aren't aware of it. So when I told them this, so where do you get this information from? I'm like, this is on the NHS website. <laughs> <laughs> I, and like, oh, like, actually, yeah, like, wow. So, so I thought, like, okay, this is. And plus, you know, on Facebook and stuff, you see people's, you know, I've, I've personally known and I see a lot of young brothers 
you know, dying in their thirties, mm. leaving their families behind, right? So I thought, okay, this is a is a real problem, and one that needs solving. Yeah. And um, the other thing I convinced myself at one time I had a very na- narrow field of what it is to serve Islam and to serve Allah and do right. something. Yeah. I had a very very narrow field of it. Mm. Like if you only read Quran, if you talk Quran, you you doing service of Deen. But I recall, recall uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf when I was. Uh, when I was a teenager, he used to hate this distinction. And he used to, yeah. I, I remember listening to a lecture of his back in the 90s. And he said, look, you know, if you build a bridge and the people are using it and the animals are benefiting and everyone's benefiting, right? You've done a service to the dean. Like he, he, that's how he'd say it. And he goes, look, imagine right now, say you're in a, a land where there's an island and then that island, right? The people can't cultivate food or they can't get to the market and feed yeah. their families properly. And now they have to get to the, the market, which is on the other island, and you come yeah. and build a bridge. And now all of these few people are benefiting from that bridge. They're going and they're feeding their families. And he goes, like, how on earth is that not a, a, a deed that Allah won't reward? Yeah. Right? So yeah. I thought, okay, you know, like I need to broaden my vision of what it means to mm. serve, serve the deen. Um, and from that, I thought, okay, alhamdulillah, this is a, a massive need. Um, and one that I'm capable of. And I looked around and I've been in, so, I'm in so many coaches groups. I've worked with so many coaches on this. Because anytime you take a, a course, they put you in a Facebook group and stuff like that. Right. So I looked at all of these coaches and stuff and none of them, none of them were tackling this issue. Yeah. We never have, I mean, in the wider community, there's experts, there's lots of experts. Yeah. In our community, there isn't any. And the mm. few that I saw were, they were propagating misinformation themselves. Right. They, they, they had this strange mix of what, I, what we call the wellness industry cult. The wellness industry promotes pseudoscience. Okay. Right? Uh, and uh, the, the few Muslim uh, coaches that I saw were taking the pseudoscience, mixing with religion, and mm. another hybrid pseudoscience. <laughs> <laughs> so, because sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's religion taken out of context. Yeah. Like, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, he ate dates. But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also didn't eat a donut kebab. And <laughs> he, he have a latte straight after. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so, yeah the Prophet Sallallahu had butter and, and, and or, or, you know, uh, honey and all that stuff. But the Prophet Sallallahu was not in a calorie surplus the rest of the day <laughs> you know and he lived in the environment and he was active like so yeah, contextually exactly. you have to have you have to look at the full context yeah um, so you know you'd see people t- like they're struggling with their weight then they're told like have butter and have this and have dates and honey and stuff and like, i know that's exactly what you shouldn't be doing <laughs> if you're in a calorie surplus so that's what i saw and um i, I mean there was a massive need um and um Oh, there's something else as well. I lost my trailer thought. Yeah, not to worry. Not to worry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Subhanallah. I think uh, it's it's very commendable um, the work that you're doing, and I think uh, it's definitely needed. And hopefully, there there will be more and more people. And like you said, your team is growing. So I'm I'm, I'm guessing there are more people kind of catching on that uh, this type of work is important. And uh, and and hopefully we do see um, more Muslims and and uh, South Asian brothers, dads, and you know that that kind of bracket where where it is really needed and is very important. They're they're coming up and they're doing more. Um, Zakla Khair for coming on, Adam. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully the viewers got a lot of benefit from that. Uh, is there uh, somewhere where viewers can can kind of check out more about health and fitness from from your end? Yeah, I mean, I have an absolute ton of content uh, on, on Facebook. On my profile, I put loads of stuff up. And then I have a, a Facebook group as well, where it's a bit more organized. But I'm trying to organize that even further. Yeah. All right, man. And inshallah, we'll get you on again, because uh, we were saying just before we started the podcast, right, that your, 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 your uh, journey and your stories in your life uh, could take could, could could go across hours and could be turned into a book. So I'm sure there will be a lot more we can speak about, inshallah, next time. Sure, inshallah. Thank you for having me. No problem. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.